In the words of Harriet Tubman, there was one of two things I had a right to, liberty or death. If I could not have one, I would have the other. And in the words of Public Enemy's Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth Moment Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. I've just washed my hair, so I'm letting that dry. <laughs> I'm recording much later than usual. Like I usually record like in the mid-afternoon, but I'm recording it near uh, like half seven. So I'm just it's, it's it's feeling a bit weird because like I feel like I should have had this done. <laughs> ages ago uh but yeah no, no, it's just it's just one of those things this is one of those things yeah uh, busy today you know any stuff to do and also wash my hair because i need to really just wash my hair jesus uh but yeah yeah i'm kind of, apart from that it's all been good can't complain a bit of a boring week to be honest like uh from a me perspective but obviously everything else is uh you know stuff happens uh we had some couple of awards uh season stuff which i will briefly talk about and uh just a lot of uh a lot of uh a lot of uh existential societal conversations uh, <laughs> across uh, across several spectrums uh, but we'll get into some of that you know what I mean we'll get into some of that but before we do that we'll just jump right let's just jump right in fuck it four messages before we begin email to IG Facebook as well Discord link all that all that, all that in the full show notes including all the articles I'm about to read during this episode so please give them a read and give the writers specifically them clicks and big up themselves if uh if, if big up them if you feel uh, inclined to how would i said let the beat drop and let's get to the show in a week where Murray Walker, voice of F1, dies age 97. Marvelous Marvin Hagler dies age 66. Uh, the Grammys happened. I have not really much else to say about it. Um, yeah, couldn't really care less at this point. Uh, the Oscar nominations dropped, which has uh, been, you know, kind of uh, positively looked at, um, which, uh, you know, is cool, but it doesn't. Uh, change uh, much in terms of uh, you know the fact that the foundations are still rotten to the core and uh, you know a bit of nominations during one year will not change that and we actually got some uh, Oscar stuff uh, to talk about in film and TV uh, as it pertains to a particular film but we'll get to that when we get to that and lastly a 21 year old Georgia man was arrested uh, in the killings of eight people at three massage parlors many of them uh, women of Asian descent. I think six of the eight were women, uh, Asian women, and uh, yeah, it's been some widespread uh, just um, uh, calls, you know, from uh, uh, known people of note uh, talking about uh, and uh, being anti-Asian hate. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, so um, well, we actually are going to talk about uh, something uh, that is very societal at the end of the show, um, but. Uh, yeah, that's just a, that's just an, that's just another one. It really is just another one, um, and I don't think it's really talked about, especially in America. I don't think because it's not you know quote unquote profitable. I don't think like you know white on black crime or you know white white and black uh, racism is always just like so you know charged and so powerful. You know what I mean? And uh, hey, man. The, these these new cor- these new corporate news corporations you know they 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 fund off eyes they fund off outrage and emotion and uh you know it doesn't doesn't really doesn't really have the same kick when it comes to anti-asian hate um and that's why you know a lot of people don't account for it on a daily basis but you know hopefully this will spark something but anyway let's start off with a bit of life uh, first of two uh, segments uh, this episode, and what's I did I, mean, I did mention it last week. I did mention it last week, and I promised I was going to talk about NFTs. So here we are talking about NFTs because I feel like this is something that um, uh, we can't. Uh, I don't think people can quite grasp yet um, in terms of like if it's uh, you know uh, going to be a long term thing. 
but then again, people said that with Bitcoin, and uh, I don't know the you know I don't look up like every day what it, what it's priced at, but you know it's in the you know tens of thousands right now, and uh, that's pretty good if you if you got in there like five years ago when it was like a you know sixty or whatever you know what I mean it's, you know it's, it, it might be NFTs might be the new thing might be the new thing um, we we just don't know how long it's gonna survive, but you know but that's it. Uh, I found this great article last week, and I said I'd read it, so let's get into it. Uh, this is by, uh, this is by The Hustle, by uh, Zachary Crockett. It's called Why NFTs Are Suddenly Selling for Millions of Dollars. And I, I don't know about you guys, I've, I've, I've seen some of these, like, every couple of days, and I'm just like, where, 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 where are people getting this money? Like, you know what I mean? The, 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 you know, a lot, of, a lot of things, right, that you can that you can consider just, like, stupid to buy, right, um, you know, uh, when someone who buys a piece of art for, like, millions of dollars, I'm just like, okay, um, you know, when it's auctioned, especially, like, why, um, if the artist priced it at that, then sure, you know, I mean, that's the artist price, but when you auction it, and then somebody just pays out the arse for it, like, I, I don't know, and uh, same with, like, uh, you know, uh, certain cards, like baseball cards in America, Pokemon cards these days, I've, I've seen a couple of videos on Pokemon cards now, uh, uh, how valuable they are, and I'm just like, fuck that, no, not not about that, chief. But anyway, let's get into some NFT talk. So let's get into it. Uh, Jesse Schwartz could have bought a Lamborghini. Now here we go. This is perfect. This this is his year. He could have bought a Lamborghini. He could have placed a winning bid on Jimi Hendrix's guitar. He could have paid off a mortgage. But instead, on a recent Monday morning, the 32-year-old entrepreneur logged in, logged onto a platform called NBA Top Shot, and with a few friends, spent 208k on a video clip of LeBron James dunking. Schwartz doesn't get the broadcast rights to the clip, or even a physical copy of it. He owns a few lines of code that prove he's the owner of a unique digital asset. Quote, my family thought I was crazy, he tells the hustle, but I've never been the kind of person who invests in traditional things. <sighs> my mum would fight me. <laughs> my mum would beat my fucking ass if she if she had if I did this. Honestly, this is crack talk to me. But it's crack talk to me, but you know, it might not be to you. That's that's kind of the conversation we're getting into here. But anyway, let's continue. His purchase is one of uh, several baffingly expensive digital collectibles sold in recent weeks, including 590k for an animation of a cat shooting a rainbow out of its ass. Uh, that's Nyan Cat, isn't it? That's, yeah. Uh, 1.5 mil for, this is all dollars, by the way, uh, for a pixelated drawing of, of, of a so-called CryptoPunk. 3.6 million for a custom song by the DJ 3Lao, I think that's what I saying. Or e I don't know. I don't know if the e- 3 is supposed to be an E, you know what I mean, how like, people do that. Uh, I don't know, but anyway. Uh, and 6.6 million, uh, million, so I, I think I forwarded this little billion there, uh, for a 10-second video clip by the artist Beeple. Uh, these assets, called non-fungible tokens (NFTs), have courted an explosion of interest in what we have uh, that we haven't seen since well, GameStop. NFTs have caught the attention of tech investors such as Mark Cuban, the highbrow art world, uh, Christie's Auction House, and major corporations, Nike alike. And everyone from Lindsay Lohan to the rock band Kings of Leon is flooding to the uh, flooding the market with higher-priced virtual creations of their own. But what exactly is an NFT? What makes them so valuable? And what might the future hold for these digital assets? So, NFT is defined. Uh, let's start by breaking down the two keywords here. Non-fungible asset is something unique that isn't readily interchangeable. Think of a rare sports card, an antique car, or a piece of land. This differs from a fungible asset like cash. A $5 bill is always worth $5, no matter who owns it or what condition it is in. A token is a type of virtual currency that lives on a blockchain and represents a specific asset like a piece of digital artwork. So in simple terms, an NFT is a documentation of ownership of a one-of-a-kind digital asset. Um, and they literally have like a nice little uh, little graph here of a physical, digital, fungible, non-fungible, which is a very, uh, very good way of... Uh, uh, representing it. Uh, an NFT can represent any kind of digital asset, a piece of artwork, an audio file, video clip, a plot of virtual land. And I did give an example last week and I'll re- regurgitate it when we finish. Um, the NFT isn't actually the piece of artwork itself. It's a piece of code on a digital ledger, which is blockchain, uh, that points to you can Google blockchain for yourself. I'm not, I know some people will be like, what's blockchain? And it's like, no, no. It's, it's one at a time. I can only do one at a time. Go Google that. Um, that points to where the artwork lives, usually on a server somewhere else. Still confused? Picture a Hot Wheels car. 
In the physical world, you go out and buy a Hot Wheels collectible at a store or an online marketplace like eBay. You pay cash, more for a rare more for a rare one, less for a common one. And in return you receive a tangible object made of metal and plastic. Here's what that simplified process would look like in NFT form. So they've got a little graph here, um, just a picture of Hot Wheels and stuff like that, but if, uh, some uh, uh, text as well. So one, a creator makes a digital set, uh, a set of digital artworks, each one with a set of characteristics that make it one of a kind. She mints a unique piece of code that IDs each one on the blockchain, which is a digital ledger, a distributed ledger of digital transactions, securing its authenticity and scarcity so there's four of these there's only four of these things okay so you've already uh it's, it's like when um, nipsey hustle had them the, like 100 copies of his album and sold them for like 10k it's kind of like that it's similar to that right so it's it's the, it's the rarity element of it okay so next bit they they're, they're put up for a bid on online nft marketplace collectors buy nfts with cryptocurrencies like ethereum um i should get i should get lauren on here uh, there's a I have a fr- I have a friend, a film friend, who um has recently uh, dabbled in the NFTs, um and uh, yeah, she's uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's like you know she's made millions off her or anything, but uh, you know she's quite she seems excited on it when it comes to, to when it comes to her. So uh, her tweets about it, so that's kind of interesting. I might, I might have to ask her a few questions about it. Uh, why go through all this trouble to create some uh, digital asset when you can just buy real Hot Wheels car? What's the value add here? Physical collectibles face a few challenges. One, it can be hard, to f- hard and or time-consuming to verify authenticity. An auth- original can be faked, forged, replicated, um, i.e., you know, shoes, you know, Jordans, fake Jordans, all that kind of stuff, clothing, all that kind of stuff. I think uh, most people have seen that kind of stuff. You know, oh, that's a that's, that's fake. Uh, go, you know what a great example is? Go watch the Fubu episode of Elena. That shit. That shit really. <laughs> fuck me up uh the end of that sh- yeah that episode is crazy um just not talked about enough underrated episode um it can be and the second bit it can be hard to trace an object's ownership history there's often no public record of a collectible's lifetime journey historically the legitimacy of digital assets have been trickier have been even trickier to validate since the internet is a muck with copies of copies of copies nft evangelists say that blockchain blockchain technology solves these issues by publishing a work on the blockchain, the artist is creating an immutable, verifiable public record of its authenticity. Take CryptoPunks, one of the NFT, one of the first NFTs created back in 2017. Only 10k CryptoPunks were minted, each one for a simple character with unique, uh, with a set of unique traits. For any given punk, you can view a full transaction history of bids, offers, sales, and ownership records. We can uh, see that most, the most uh, we can see that the most coveted punk, uh, number 6965, originally sold for 1.1k and switched hands a few times over the years before fetching the pricey sum of 800 Ethereum a few weeks ago, which is, fuck me, $1.5 million at the time. Wow. I might have to get into this, you know. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, right. Continuing on. Um, uh, yeah. So they have like a sale history as well, which is just um. So it, it got claimed twenty seventeen and July sold for four Ethereum. July twenty uh, and then sold in the same month uh, for seven point nine Ethereum. Um. And these. Okay. Let's do it in dollars because um. I think it's better. So one thousand one hundred and six July twenty seventeen. Another July twenty seventeen for two thousand one hundred twenty five. June twenty eighteen for three thousand. And then February twenty twenty one for one point five mil. Uh. That's that's crazy. That is absolutely stupid. Uh, that someone shelled that someone shelled out 1.5 million for a piece of code de- designating them the owner of a pixelated ape wearing a fedora seems to defy any semblance of rational market behavior. After all, the image can uh, the image above can easily be captured with a screenshot, downloaded, or recreated by any redditor with access to Microsoft Paint. So what what makes this a thing or any FT for that matter valuable? Uh, so this is why NFTs are booming. So let's get into the 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 popularity of it. Okay. Uh, it may seem like NFTs came out of nowhere, but they're an innovation that has been in the works for several years. So in 2017, NFTs got first garnered widespread public attention with CryptoKitties, a game in which users breed and trade digital cats. 2018, a mini hype cycle led to VC-led investment, uh, and platforms were created to buy, sell, and mint NFTs like Super Rare, OpenSea, Rarible, and Nifty Gateway. 2019, big brands like Formula One and Nike entered the space in the 2020. The market for NFTs tripled in size to 250 million plus. 
but in the first few months of 2021, we've seen an NFT explosion. In February alone, the 10 most popular NFTs, NFT collectibles saw a 400% average MOM rise. Uh, I don't know what MOM, MOM, MOM is. I don't know. Anyway, um, totaling nearly 400 million in sales volume. Um, and I have a little graph here as well if you want to go peep that. Uh, this can be largely attributed to one platform, Dapper Labs eight, uh, NBA Top Shot, which launched in October of 2020 with the basketball league's backing. And on Top Shot, uh, users can purchase digital packs that contain NFTs called Moments, short video clips of NBA, NBA highlights like memorable dunk or steal, uh, like physical trading cards. Some moments are common, 1K copies, and some are extremely rare, one of one. Katie Tedman, uh, the head of partnerships and marketing for Dapper Labs, tells The Hustle that the platform now has 511k registered users and 301 million plus dollars in sales only five months into operation. Experts, uh, experts The Hustle spoke with uh, say the rapid rise of NFTs like Topshot is a perfect storm of a few larger trends. One, COVID-19 made us more plugged into virtual spaces, a boom in cryptocurrency, uh, major institutions like uh, Christie's Auction House have lent NFTs credibility and prestige by jumping aboard, and also non-fungible goods often thrive during times of economic turmoil. Rare coins, for instance, saw prices spike during the Great Depression, the stock market collapse of 1987, and the 2008 recession. Quote, uh, people are realize, realizing, wow, I can do all these things, meetings, happy hours, whatever, virtually, says Hrish Lottik Lot. Lot Lekar, uh, CEO of an AR-based metaverse called Superworld, quote, uh, that gives way to, wow, I can buy assets virtually too, I don't need physical money, unquote. Uh, Superworld is part of a, uh, another burgeoning space in the NFT world, virtual real estate. Okay, I'm not, not sure about this one. Not sure about this one, ladies and gentlemen. Not sure about this one. All right, let's continue. Um, on the platform, Earth... Oh, come on, guys. Earth is split up into 64 billion parcels of land, each with each an NFT with a set of unique coordinates, which can be bought by users and monetized with virtual ads. Similar worlds like Decentraland have seen massive growth in recent years. At launch in 2017, uh, parcels would go up for 100 a pop. Today, they could fetch up to 80k. Okay, all right. See, so, see, some of this shit I can, some of this shit I can, I guess, kind of get with, but I don't know, guys. Land, like virtual land. Uh, who are these people, man? Who, who the fuck are these people copying this shit? Like, uh, uh, I don't know. All right, let's continue on. I'm trying not to, trying not to go off the, off the rails here. But anyway, um, I'm moving forward a bit because there's a little bit more in the article I want to get to. Um, I want to cover the basics of it, um, uh, most of it anyway, um, and not just get into nitty gritty. But anyway, um, but the question of value mer- remains. Objectively, a video clip of LeBron James dunking isn't worth 208k. A cartoon cat isn't worth 100k. A selfie of Lindsay Lohan isn't worth 59k. Of course, the same could be said of any physical collectible. An original 1960s Hot Wheels car is made up of a few pennies worth of metal and plastic, but it might sell up for upwards, for upwards, excuse me, of 50k on the market. A painting, some wooden pigmented oil can fetch millions. Okay, right, here we go. So, uh, they, they always have a, a, a graph of intrinsic versus extrinsic value of collectibles, uh, which is great. Uh, Many NFTs collectors see a uh, future for uh, the tokens and increase real-world integration. With Topshot, for instance, we may see NBA players offering courtside seats and meet and greets in exchange for certain moments. Mm. Okay. Uh, In the wake of several high-profile NFT sales from well-established eyes, a glut of lesser-known artworks have flooded the market. Uh, Shout to Lauren. One of those, I guess. Uh, some critics have raised doubts that NFTs are just a fad by driven by hype, similar to 2017's initial coin offering, ICO bubble. Uh, others have stated that the massive influx of buyers and sellers will eventually taper off, and only truly rare, desirable NFTs will remain, retain value. Schwartz, the Trends member who dropped to 208k on a LeBron James video, remains optimistic. Quote, a lot of people tell me I can watch the same clip on YouTube for free, he says. Anyone can watch it, but there's only the there's only one original verified by the blockchain, and that scarcity is what makes it valuable in the long term. His NFT is one of only 49 moments from Top Shot's so-called cosmic set, and is only and is the only LeBron James clip in the series. Quote 
It's a, uh, it set a record for the most expensive sports NFT, but in my opinion, it was the best value on the whole buyer on the whole market. Yes, it's my Mona Lisa unquote. All right, okay, okay. So th- I feel like there's a lot to. Um, it's it's really it's 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 really hard for me personally, right? I I can I can imagine right a lot of people being that person that's going like you know. Oh, it's just a picture. It's just a clip of LeBron James Duncan. I can watch a highlight anywhere, right? I can imagine a lot of people are like that. I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle here, where I'm not fully, I'm not fully into this idea, and I think that's just part of my brain that doesn't want to pay. Or, or and I and I think he's doing this in in investment purpose, right? Because he didn't explicitly say, it, but I feel like it's more of an investment than anything. Um, but then again, uh, why do most pe- rich people do this? You know what I mean? Um, I, I, you know, Jay Leno has uh, tons of cars, right? It's, it's well known that Jay Leno is a big car guy. And he has, like, tons of cars, right? He's not selling those. You know what I mean? He's actually riding some of those, right? He's whipping them and basically lowering the value uh, as soon as he starts the ignition, technically, right? Um, so, you know, there's some rich people like Jay Leno that's just doing it for the love of the game, right? And that's well and good. It's your money. You're fucking dumb, but it's your money um, in my mind. Like, I, I, just, I just feel like I could do better with that money. But that's just me, right? And then it comes to this people like uh, Schwartz, where I feel like he's doing this as more of an investment thing. Because, you know, it's 208k now. But, you know, once LeBron James retires, that shit is going to tenfold. I'm not even kidding. I think that shit will tenfold, right? And I'm not even a finance guy. I think that shit will just fucking tenfold, right? Or fivefold, right? And I feel like that's the that's the game here, where like I think some people are seeing it as an investment thing, and I feel like that's how it needs to be um, uh, uh, portrayed. And I don't think it is at the moment because I think people are, are just finding the whole concept very funny. And it's just like, oh, these people buying fucking clips, and I can watch a clip. <laughs> fucking stupid. Like, why are you, bu- why are you, co- why are you pa- spending money for that? <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> right? And you know they're going along with it because you know, in some ways, it's kind of stupid. But I feel like most people are doing this on an investment thing. Um, and you know, that's I get it. I get it. It's the same as the stock market. It's exactly the same in my mind. And uh, you know, by all means, go for it. It's not my steez. Um, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not into this right now, but then again, I may do this with like one of my scripts one day. I, I legit might, I can, I can definitely see myself doing that. Just pop in like a five on NFT, uh, put five there, uh, obviously a, a unique code, five unique code, uh, lines of code, fat that on the blockchain and go, yo guys, who wants to cop my script? NFT, you know what I mean? And then when I die, that person who copped it for however much, um, is uh you know he he's he he or she is uh you know uh makes millions. I can I can I can I can see that. I I wouldn't mind doing that. And you know it's not my it's not any uh it's not skin off my nose, right? Um, but um yeah I can I can see where this comes from. Uh, in some ways, um, the the visuals of it is very fucking dumb, and a bit memey, uh, more, a lot memey. Uh, but you know in some ways. I can understand it, and obviously comparing it to something like the Mona Lisa is, you know, I get it, like, it makes sense, because Mona Lisa is just a painting, but the reason why the Mona Lisa is the Mona Lisa is because there's only been one made, and that's why people flock to that kind of shit, where it's like a one of one, same why, same reason uh, why uh, uh, Banksy's, uh, uh, you know, murals or paintings, or just, um, yeah, Banksy's art gets cut out of a fucking house and then sells it. Like every time, every single time, and I'll leave it on here. Every time, uh, my mum sees a Banksy painting, and uh, she sees how much it goes uh, goes uh, an auction for. She uh, she says the exact same thing every time, and I, I'm 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 sure she she is not the only mother or parent or person of uh, her age that says this. She looks at that wall and she goes. Oh, I wish Banksy would do my wall. Then I could sell the whole house. <laughs> Come on, guys. Who 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 hasn't heard that from their parents? Am I the only one? I cannot be. But anyway, <laughs> fuckery aside, uh, shout out to NFTs. Uh, you know, as an investment thing, I get it. 
Um, it'll probably last as a digital thing. Uh, miss the internet after all. Uh, but yeah, um, it's, it's at the moment for me personally, not my steez, not my steez. Maybe down the line, but uh, for now, I, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not about that right now. <laughs> and we hop on the sports, and uh, I was going to do something based on the IFC. Um, they recently did, uh, so they, they did, they did a little oopsie, and uh, basically, I think they said a. Uh, uh, they, 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 don't, they don't consider what uh, you know China's doing the Uyghurs uh, genocide, and I'm just like, <laughs> way to put your foot in your mouth. Um, but you know, got got to side with China when it comes to money. Like, you know I mean, if it, yeah, you have to you have to do it. That's how it, that's how the world goes. Like, don't don't side with China. They just cut you off completely. But you know, if IOC want to be bitches, go be bitches. But uh, I found this one way more interesting. Um, and uh, you know, so it's a it's real time. I feel, and I literally saw it today. So it's literally dropped today, fresh off the press. Um, this is by Nathan Kalman Lamb, Derek Silver, and Johanna Mellis. Uh, this is called "I Signed My Life to Rich White Guys Athletes on the Racial Dynamics of College Sports." Uh, this is via the Guardian. Let's just jump right in because obviously, um, around this time, uh, March Madness is here, the NCAA tournament, um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, so obviously, uh, people ain't uh, the the them kids ain't getting paid, so they're gonna have to they're they're doing all this uh, out of <laughs> you know for basically sacrificing their bodies from a COVID standpoint and risking their bodies from a COVID standpoint and illness stamp illness standpoint, uh, just to get uh just to you know get some dubs. So I, I don't know about that, but um, you know what I mean, but uh, it it adds to the continual racial politics and dynamics of uh of college sports right now especially basketball and uh, american football which uh you know for most uh colleges uh, in the u.s uh, make the money uh but you could also add uh, like i don't know stanford swimming or something like that. i don't know there are a lot of others but anyway niche ones anyway all right uh on january 30th or 30 january uh Rutgers basketball player Gio Baker wrote on Instagram in response to a post by U.S. College Sports governing body the NCAA. Uh, quote, I have to sign a paper that says my name uh, and likeness belongs to the school. Modern day slavery. You realize we are playing in a pandemic being told to stay away from everyone we love just for your t- entertainment. Uh, but I can't sell my own jersey with my last name on it to help my future financially. That makes sense to you? Uh, quote. I think that's unquote. In invoking slavery and linking it both to yeah the denial of economic rights for U.S. college athletes, or to call them what they really are, campus athletic workers, and the ongoing requirement of play during pandemic. Ah uh, oh, damn, I, I said pandemic. I meant to. I, I have. I, I don't know if I've been uh, keeping on it. Uh, I don't know if I've even been meaning saying the word all this time. But I remember when I first said it. <laughs> I was going to switch up the word uh, like weeks ago, but I just didn't. Uh, I don't think I read any articles that had the word in it. And now, as soon as it comes back, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it just claps me in the head. Uh, Panini. Uh, Baker, Baker highlights uh, one of the ugliest dimensions of uh, the college sport industrial complex the disproportionately radicalized, uh, racialized sorry, nature of its exploitative dynamics. This week marks the start of the uh, biggest event on the college sports calendar, the NCAA basketball tournament. And for those unfamiliar with the absurdist world of US college sports is big business, like really big business, particularly in the elite power five conferences. How big? Uh, Particularly in elite power five conferences. How big? Uh, In the 2018-2019 academic year, the 65 power five universities generated $8.3 billion through athletics. Yet aside from scholarships, players don't see any of that money directly. If players did receive a share, economist David Berry has calculated that men's basketball players at an elite power five conference uh, school like elite power five school like Duke would receive between 145k and 4.313 million dollars per year. And here's the thing: an extremely high proportion of players of the players being syst- uh, systematically systematically uh, denied the revenue they are responsible for generating are black. Based on the NCAA's own figures, uh, the predominantly white institutions (PWIs) uh, <laughs> uh, every time that that word is mentioned, I kind of think like, what's the what's the what's the uh, what's the percentage for a UK university? It's kind of 100%, isn't it? <laughs> Fuck. 
crazy to think about. Uh, anyway, they comprise the Power Five as of uh, the 2019-2020 season. Uh, black students comprise only 5.7 of the population, yet in the Power Five, black athletes make up the 55.9% of men's basketball players, 55.7% of men's football, and 48.1% of women's basketball. At some schools, the numbers are particularly startling. Texas A&M, the second highest athletic revenue earning institution in U.S. Uh, college sports, has only 3.1% black students in the general student body, yet its college football team is 75% black, and its women, women's basketball team, 92.9%. It is hard to deny from these numbers that black athletes are uh, admitted into institutions that usually ignore them specifically to have their labor exploited for university's game. Uh, these numbers are all the more te- uh, all the more galling. Uh, I think it's galling, yeah. Uh, given recent events, when Texas Longhorns football players did not remain on the field during the singing of the Eyes of Texas this fall because of what they called the song's quote unquote racial undertones, uh, wealthy alumni threatened to pull donations and spam the University of Races vitriol. One particularly troubling email sent by donor Larry Wilkinson read, "Quote: Less than six percent of our current study student." Current study body, yeah. Current study body uh, is black. Dot dot dot. The tail cannot be allowed to wag the dog. Dot dot dot. And the dog must be instead, and the dog must instead stand up for what is right. Nothing forces those students to attend UT Austin. Encourage them to select an alternate school. Dot dot dot. Now, unquote. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. But uh, gotta continue. Um, <laughs> fuck. Um, as a consequence of these players. Uh, of these letters, players were told that if they did not participate, they could lose access to job opportunities after graduating. Fuck. I knew this story, by the way, right? I've I've, I've heard some podcasts on it um, from what I listen to, but um, fuck. Um, all right. Oh, fuck. I have to continue. Fuck. I really want to get onto that. Anyway, um, more recently, uh, Creighton men's basketball head coach Greg McDermott admitted that he demanded... Pl- oh, this is funny. Demanded players, quote, stay on the plantation, unquote, during post-game talk. Although he claimed to have offered to resign, university chose to, uh, chose not to take him up uh, on the offer, presumably due to the success of his tenure. Meanwhile, in Tennessee, GOP state lawmakers uh, called on universities across the state to prohibit athletes from engaging in anti-racist protests during the national anthem. Each of these incidents offer uh, offer us just a hint of the too often veiled uh, race uh, racist climate black athletes uh, must endure on campuses across the country. Uh, former University of Wisconsin men's basketball star Nigel Hayes explains, quote, it's always been an interesting situation and dynamic. Black athletes, but white school, white coaches, white fans, dot, 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 minimal black people, unquote. Hayes, who briefly played in the NBA and currently plays professionally in Europe, adds, quote, most are aware that the, most are aware these university teams, primarily men's basketball and football, are filled with black players, making money for usually white people and not being able to have their share of a billion dollar plus industry. So the visual you get is why institutions recruit black talent to make millions while dealing with all the other hurdles of being black, unquote. We spoke to a number of current and re- uh, all recently graduated players about the racist dimensions of their experiences at P- uh, Power, 5, Power 5 BWIs. Both athletes were granted anonymity given the potential re- from re- uh, for reprisal from their college or employers. Hayes' sentiment was echoed by Paul, a former uh, name changed, Paul, a former... Uh, SEC men's basketball player uh, quote every time I signed that piece of paper that said my name and likeness belong to university I felt like I was b- giving up a piece of myself why would my school own my name my image how is that fair I am a grown man a black man I have to and I have to sign my life away to who a bunch of rich white guys unquote the most recent data available from the NCAA, uh, the 2018-19 season, uh, makes it clear that the primary uh, primary beneficiaries of college sports are white. Although non-Hispanic Latino white people <coughs> uh, uh, make 60.1% of the US population, 84.4% of Power 5 chancellors and pres- presidents are white. In athletic departments across the Power 5, 75% of athletic directors at the coaching level, 80.6% of head men's basketball coaches, 81.54% of head women's basketball coaches, and 80% of head football coaches in the Power 5 are white. Why does this matter? The enormous revenue generated by Power 5 uh, sports subsidizes the salaries of white individuals in leadership roles despite the enormous pool of black candidates for those jobs. 
Former NBA player David West puts it this way, quote, Athletes are expected to be content as an unpaid labour force for a system that allows economic opportunities for everyone but them. The racial undertones always there, unquote. Um, I'm going to majorly skip like a lot of this article um, just for time reasons because I do want to get into the other stuff today. Um, but I'll read the last uh, couple of paragraphs here. Um, uh, just days after his claim that the college sport is modern day slavery, Geo Baker seemed to walk back his comment clarifying, quote, I'm disappointed in the words uh, that I used, but I think there's a bigger discussion that needs to be made. The headline with three words that, have, that were at the very end of the of very truthful facts that we are owned by someone else, unquote. What Baker suggests is not so much that his analysis of college sports was incorrect, but that he is not permitted to name uh, it for what it is. That too is a symptom of the white supremacist dynamics that shape and constrain the experiences of black athletes in college sport today. It's long past time for that to change. Power 5 uh, revenue uh, sport Power 5 revenue sport is saturated in plantation dynamics that essentially amount to forms of unfreedom for black workers labouring to earn revenue for white institutions and the predominantly white officials who govern them. The problem is not calling the conditions of uh, college revenue sport racism, white supremacy or a new plantation. The problem is no, that no matter what label we put on it, that is, that is what it actually is. And it is exactly what a lot of very, uh, lot of very wealthy and powerful white people want it to be. Um, so yeah, I did skip a majority of this article um, for time reasons. But Jesus Christ, like the 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 jarring nature of college, American college sports is honestly just absolutely outstanding to think about. Like the 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 the. The, the just the numbers there, the percentages that were given there, like are just absolutely crazy to me, and it will never stop, and it will never stop blowing my mind at how um, fucking antiquated all of this is. Um, like the eyes of Texas one, just just off rip, just that one thing, like is just fucking mad to me. Like it, it just it actually blows my mind. Like they li- the dude literally sent like the most dog whistly non dog whistle <laughs> like instead of a dog whistle it was like a fuck it it was about as much of a dog whistle um uh, <laughs> and more as much as a, a fucking um freight train horn like that's basically what it was that's how much of a dog whistle that particular level was just just that alone creeps me the fuck out and that's just that's just one university and that's just one set of crazy ass donors like that's that's all of them that's all of them in a nutshell. Um, so, um, yeah. Shit, man. <laughs> fuck that noise. Um, yeah, fuck the NCAA. And, uh, yeah, man. I just hope uh, all the players that are in the NCAA tournament just get out there healthy, man. Because, fuck. Like, ima- honestly, I don't want to say this. Knock on wood. You know what I mean? But, like, imagine if a kid dies during the tournament. Fucking optics, <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, alone is just um, crazy. But fucking hell, there's a lot of problems there. A lot, a lot, a lot of problems there. So we hop on to film and TV, and uh, as I said, I wanted to talk about one Oscar film in particular, and I wanted to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, because somehow, somehow, this is the first ever film to not have a lead. Um, if, so if those who don't know, and they know the joke I'm getting at, uh, the film uh, to, you know, quote-unquote leads, uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya, um, they got nominated in uh, the Oscars uh, Supporting Actor category, and not uh, none of them got in the lead actor category. Um, you can debate whether which, which one is which, uh, which one is a lead. Um, I think, uh, uh, you know, screen time-wise, it's a Lakeith. But obviously, um, Kaluuya is just uh, Kaluuya's, uh, Fred Hampton is kind of the reason why uh, the whole film was made in some ways in terms of the character itself. But um, you know, you could you could you could uh, take your pick. Uh, but none of them got none none of the two got lead actor. They were both support actor. So uh, this is a this is an article I found uh, by Emily Vanderwerf. Love that name. Uh, via Vox, it's called "How Judas and Black Messiahs Two Lead Actors Wound Up with Supporting Actor Oscar Nance." So this is jump right in. One of the big surprises of the 2021 Oscar nominations was the success of Judas and Black Messiah. 
uh, Chaka King's film about Fred Hampton, played by Daniel Kaluuya, lead of uh, Black Panther, Poor Ollie, and uh, his betrayal at the hands of William O'Neill. I don't know, if, just as a side note, I think I said Ron O'Neill in one uh, podcast a few weeks ago, and uh, if anyone clocked that, and nobody said it to me, but I feel like in my mind I did say Ron O'Neill, I was like a couple of days later, and I was like, did I say Ron? Um, and I didn't bother to check, but if I did say Ron, does, uh, somebody let me know. Anyway, uh, it's William O'Neill. As you can probably guess from that cursory plot summary, O'Neill is the Judas and Hampton is the Black Messiah of the film title, of the film's title. So when both Cleary and Stanfield were nominated for Best Supporting Actor at the Oscars, it necessarily prompted some confusion as to who exactly they were supposed to be supporting. Uh, to my mind, Stanfield is clearly the film's lead, the movie stays focused on him throughout, and it's mostly about O'Neill's emotional journey and his thought process as he makes the decisions that lead to Hampton's death. Uh, but one could also argue that Cleo is the lead, as he plays a character who is effortly ma- uh, magnetic and who drives much of the story's action, uh, plus Hampton is the better-known historical figure. There you go. Um, and in similar cases throughout Oscar history, uh, where an acclaimed film has a major character, arguably the film's protagonist, who observes a famous historical figure, the actor playing the famous historical figure has usually been considered for lead actor, while the observer, quote-unquote observer, ends up in supporting. Uh, in supporting. 20, uh, I need to say 2007, ugh. 2007, for instance, James McAvoy was the actor with the most screen time in The Last King of Scotland, but the lead actor nomination and win went to Forrest Whitaker for playing Idi Amin. Uh, McAvoy was not nominated. And in 2008, the assassin of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford spends most of his time with Ford, played by Casey Affleck, even though James, played by Brad Pitt, is a far better known he- uh, historical figure. Nevertheless, Affleck got a Best Supporting Actor nomination at the Oscars. Pitt was not nominated. Uh, but either, but either Daniel, uh, fucking hell, either Kaluuya or Stanfield must be the lead of Judas and Messiah, right? How could they po- both possibly end up in the supporting actor race? Surely someone should have stopped this from happening. There's no way uh, to know exactly what happened because the Oscars keep their photo secret, but I think I have the best guess as to how we got here. So let's get into the best guess. Uh, the Oscar nomination process uh, allows an actor to receive votes in both of the acting categories that are theoretically theoretically eligible for. Unlike TV's uh, Emmy Awards, uh, the Oscars don't require performers to submit their names in contention for a specific category. A movie qualifies for the Oscars and is submitted by a studio for consideration, but after that, Oscar voters are mostly free to do as they please in nominating performers for the acting categories. If a consensus emerges among voters of both stars that Juice Black Messiah are supporting, car- act pl- supporting players, uh, that's, uh, then that's where they'll end up nominated. Warner Brothers campaigned for Stanfield to be nominated as the film's lead and marketed Kaluuya as a supporting player, but the Academy is not bound to vote based on that PR campaign. And while voters usually do vote based on how studio campaigns, uh, they've uh, they've been known to buck the system. Whale Riders' Keisha Castle Hughes was campaigned uh, in the supporting actress category in 2004, uh, but was ultimately nominated for lead actress. And the readers, Kate Winslet, was ca- uh, campaigned for supporting actress in 09, but ended up with a nomination and then a win in lead actress instead. Still, as Awards Watch editor Eric Anderson posted, uh, pointed out to me in an interview, quote, this is the first time I can remember the Academy switching a performance from lead to supporting. All the other, ex- uh, unquote, <clears throat> all the other examples uh, either of us could cite were of performances that a studio campaign supporting, but that our Oscar voters bumped to lead. There's another wrinkle here, however. If actors have enough votes to ultimately be nominated in both the lead and supporting categories, then the category in which they have the most votes is where they compete. And because Best Supporting Actor is surely more diffuse uh, yeah, diffuse than Best Actor, because uh, there are naturally more possible contenders, it seems incredibly likely that Stanfield received votes in both categories, but got more in supporting. Um, so that, see, see, this is uh, that's where I get friction because I'm just like, you need to, you can't have, you you need to just decide like like wholesale what you want. You know what I mean? Like you can't have like some people saying supporting and some people saying lead. That's just fucking dumb. Like you're just gonna cut, you're just gonna cut him off. Um, it it could have easily been like a case where none of them got, none of the two got nominated because people were like, no, he's a lead, no, he's supporting, and they both like get eighth place or some shit. You know what I mean? It easily could have been that. Um, so let's continue a bit, uh, bit on. So here's what I think happens. Here's what Emily thinks. If you're a Judas Black, uh, sped up there. If you are a Judas and Black Messiah fan, uh, voting in the acting branch of the Academy, uh, is quite likely that you're going to nominate both Sandfield and Kaluuya. They're electric and they play off each other very well. But if you vote for one lead in lead actor, you're surely going to vote for the other in supporting actor. 
Given the clue's consistent nominations in supporting categories of other industry awards throughout the season, it seems highly likely that most Kaluuya voters back Stanfield in the lead category, but you can nonetheless argue that Kaluuya is the lead of the film, in which case you're likely backing Kaluuya in lead actor and Stanfield in supporting. I find it hard to believe that fans of, I'm going to say JTBM now because I keep because uh, the name is so long, uh, so I'm just going to abbreviate it, JTBM, um, uh, and within the uh, Academy's acting branch would uh, vote for both actors in supporting actor. The story of the film clearly belongs to both one of them, even if you can make a strong case for either. My best guess is that Stanfield uh, actually received more votes than lead actor, but probably fell uh, just short of clinching nomination in sixth or seventh place. Then, when it came time to tally supporting actor votes, he received fewer votes than he did in lead actor, but still had enough votes to land among the top five contenders, pushing him to a nomination. As always, the Oscar vote totals will remain a secret, so the answer to this question will forever remain opaque. But the Academy. Uh, but the Academy being full of JTBM uh, fans who uh, love both Stanfield and Clue's performances, but couldn't really, excuse me, entirely agree on who should be nominated. Excuse me, nominated where strikes me as the most likely explanation for why they why they're now competing against each other in supporting actor category. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is uh, you know I feel like this should be this could have been easily um, sorted out. I I really do think this could be sort of like like just just. I'm not saying go with what the PR people say, right? I don't, I don't give a fuck what, um, you know, Warner Brothers picks, right? If you want to pick differently, go pick differently. But pick differently, but uh, but but lock it in. Don't have like don't don't have half half here. Like just just collectively agree. Like have a quick a quick collective vote. You know what I mean? Just get straw poll out there. You know what I mean? Um, and just go like you guys have 24 hours to you know make a vote on this. It who is the who is the lead? Who is the supporting? Or or just say is Kaluuya the lead or is Stanfield the lead? And whoever gets the most votes, there you go, boom, job done. And then you have them cough. But the fact that and uh, you know an Oscar is an Oscar, right? It's uh, all a piece and battle with it at the end of the day. And like if both, if any, if any one of those two win, I uh, personally will be guessed because I'm rooting for. In the words of Issa Rae, I am rooting for everybody black. But um, you know, regardless of that, like just pick pick and decide collectively it's not that hard guys it re- i don't think it's that hard um but you know regardless of which they're both fosca nominated it is what it is um and uh, yeah again if they get a tub i'm celebrating so <laughs> and if not i'm not i'm not uh, gonna talk about it so that's how the world works <laughs> Okay, and we finished with our life topic, uh, second life topic of the episode, and uh, yeah, this is all about the, uh, uh, I get, can, can we label it as killing of Sarah Everard now? Um, I don't think they've clocked her as missing anymore, um, we'll see, they found the human remains uh, uh, somewhere, I think in Kent, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, but it's, it, this is one of those topics that is really hard to just stay on one particular thing. Like there are so many ways to slice this. Like I could easily spend uh, fifteen minutes doing a lot of uh, talk about whether uh, um, uh, men and just you know their place in uh, society and what we as men collectively uh like just regularly put fear in women at a certain type of time of day but even with that said there was a um there was a column by a uh, marina hyde uh, who literally dropped a column like the day after and literally said uh like some dude harassed her in like broad daylight it was like 5 p.m so maybe it's not even just a night um you know we could talk about that um and i always see this kind of thing like when when someone says not all men i i immediately connect it to uh what people say when it comes to racism not all white people right but that's not the point right it's not the fact that it's it's it's, it's kind of the it's kind of the not all men are giving a shit that's kind of the problem here not it's not about not all men do this i don't you know what i mean but 
and I hopefully know <laughs> don't know anybody that does um, or has done anything of obviously of not killing a person, but um, you know just harassing a woman at night, um, you know, uh, or just putting f- straight fear into her. Uh, hopefully, I know don't know anybody like that, but you know, let me know so I can immediately cut you the fuck off. Um, but um, you know, uh, where was I getting to? But anyway, uh, yeah, there's so many ways to go about this. So many ways, but um, and I could ev- even be that guy, I could even be that guy, and put race into it, I could easily be that guy, and go, uh, you know, oh, well, fuck, this was a white woman, uh, and if, if it's gonna happen to a white woman, then shit, what do black women in this country have, forget, have to, sta- uh, they don't stand a chance in this kind of case, you know what I mean, I could easily talk about that, easily, but the pro- but the thing is, I don't want to, because I don't feel like that is a good use of the time, right? But again, I could easily be that person, um, and it was technically brought up by someone. I could easily use this and say, uh, you know, shout out to a former detective superintendent of Scotland Yard, Shabnam Chowdhury, um, that basically compared the vigil slash protest that happened a few days ago at Clapham Common that re- uh, resulted in a uh, uh, arrests for some reason, um, and the uh, Recently brought about the uh, uh, the poli- the what was it the cr- uh, police something 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 and crime bill um, that basically shuts down protests. So that's very uh, sorry, 1987 of us uh, UK. But anyway, you know, she she said this wasn't a Black Lives Matter issue. This was a sensitive issue. Like like literally, you're saying that okay, so a march for Black Lives or anything of that nature have to fuck all to do because it's not a sensitive issue so how does that work i could easily do that ladies and gentlemen i could easily do, do that i could also talk about the um black women like uh blessing uh Ole sagan um who's still missing um after like months um i could i could easily do that but i won't i'm gonna stick to one thing and i've already mentioned it and it's police i'm gonna stick to police um and their role in this uh <clears throat> so i found this article um and this was before it, this was published before um, the, uh, the 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 vigil slash protest that um, kicked off uh, Clapham Common. Uh, this was published before, so it makes it extra fascinating. Um, this is called "Whether or Not a Cop Killed Sarah Everard, uh, the Police Are Complicit in What Happened to Us" by Rivka Brown, via uh, Navara Media. Strong poem. In our age of instant gratification and self optimization, life hacking, <coughs> and liberal uh, tech techno technocracy techno technocracy. I feel like I'm saying it wrong, uh, is understandable that the social uh, media ties response to Sarah Everard's disappearance has tended towards practical individual solutions. Over and over, men on the internet asking women, what can I do to make you safer? These well-meaning inquiries have unleashed an avalanche of advice from both terrified women and upstanding men. Cross the road, don't jog too close, stick to well-lit parts of the street so she can see you. Make noise so she can hear. Do not, under any circumstances, speak to her. On one level, this uh, knowledge exchange is moving. Uh, an attempt uh, collective care in an aftermath in the aftermath of collective trauma. It may also be a misdirection of our energy. Behavioral change would have uh, wouldn't have saved Sarah Everard. We know this because she did everything right. She wore bright clothes, called her boyfriend, avoided dark alleys, and still appears to have met the same violent end as 66,000 women do every year. Yesterday, the police found human remains in Kent, though they have yet to identify them. I think that's the where the grey area is at the moment, like uh, in terms of if she's, you know, quote-unquote missing officially or not. Anyway, continuing on. Uh, though they have yet to identify them, sure, I hear you say uh, the problem wasn't her behaviour, it was his... We don't need curfews for women. We need them for men. Women don't need advice on how to act. Men do, aside from presuming a na- naivete among men that is plainly absent. Uh, its inversion overplays the role of individual agency in acts of oppression. Men know how to not murder women. Uh, it isn't that in the heat of the moment some of them choose to override this knowledge. It is that they do so in the certainty that the machinery of the state will underwrite their violence. Of course, the state is entirely upfront about this, having recently tabled legislation legislation to allow its agents to torture, rape, and murder way through by Her Majesty's loyal most most loyal opposition. <coughs> um, inaction, negligence, gaslighting. The police's abject failure to deal with violence against women and girls is well documented. 
It is also unsurprising given that police officers are among our foremost abusers. In the US, a 1990 study uh, found that approximately 40% of officers officers had perpetrated domestic violence uh, compared to 10% of the general public. While no similar data exists for the UK, the problem is so serious that in 2019, the Centre for Women's Justice, CWJ, submitted a super complaint, a legal mechanism that allows designated organisations to raise objections about corporate or institutional wrongdoing on the public's behalf to the present uh, inspectorate alleging a quote-unquote systemic failure to protect women who have been abused by police officers and staff. And just as a side note, in recent, uh, literally today, um, there's a, I think uh, it's been passed that uh, uh, misogyny is now going to be a hate crime, so that's a step in uh, the right direction, I think. In an accompanying report, CWJ cited an alarming statistic. While the general conviction rate for domestic violence was already was an already low 6.2%, where the accused were police offenders, uh, police officers, sorry, uh, it dropped even lower to 3.9%. It is for this reason that London Mayor City Khan's response to Everard's parents' quote unquote reassurance patrols uh, sounded as one commentator put it, clothed. <laughs> That's great. Uh, not only do police fail to keep uh, women safe, it is often they who are the threat. With serving Met Officer Wayne Cousins arrested yesterday on suspicion of murder, Everard may be a grim case in point. Quote, the law sees and treats women the way men uh, the way men see and treat women, unquote. Writes American feminist scholar Catherine McKinnon. We might go even further. Our legal system does not simply, yeah, does not simply reflect reflect the prejudices of the general public it's locker room culture uh, that's great uh, a microcosm of our culture as a whole it is designed to legitimize and uphold the systems of oppression including those of gender race and class that individuals enact the primary individual enactors of this opposition are the state's appointed enforcers the police an institution that originated lest we forget in the defense of property rights it is no coincidence that, the, uh, that not a Br- single British police officer has been imprisoned for killing a member of the public. It is the necessary colliery, uh, co- co- corollary, corollary, yeah, corollary of the uh, state's use of police force to keep the powerless in their place. This is common knowledge within communities of colour. Last month... Uh, Mohammed uh, Hassan died after being released from police custody where he had contact with 52 officers the fuck in June police officers posed with the corpses of Biba Henry and Nicole Smallman two black women found dead in a London park this is exactly what I'm talking about it's the exact conversations I could have easily talked about uh, in depth but decided to stick with police continuing on uh, the reason Everard's disappearance has stumped so many is that gendered violence have uh, has often been thought of as an exception to the rule of ACAB. Uh, if we defund the police, what about rapists? The question presumes that women, particularly white women, are among the chosen few. Uh, yeah, among chosen few, a privileged coterie, except uh, exempt from police brutality. Everard's experience should disab- uh, disabuse us. Uh, of this fanciful notion where the imbrication damn these words are crazy where the imbrication of state and gender violence may elude us in the UK Latin American women understand it intimately in 06 an Argentinian study concluded that state agents committed over 80% of all violence against trans people femicide is endemic due uh, to the region which includes 5 of the 12 countries at the highest rates in the world as is often the case, a popular protest song, Vivisex, uh, The Problem with Syrian Precision. Uh, devised by the feminist collective La Tessis, uh, I'll see if I said that right, and popularised during the 2019-20 Chilean protest movement, uh, Un Violador Onto Camino, uh, A Rapist in Your Path, bastardizes the uh, Chilean police slogan, A Friend in Your Path. The song is clear about who's to blame for the continental crisis of sexual violence. El Estado Opresor uh, es un macho violador. Violador. Yeah, there we go. Violador. Uh, The oppressive state is a rapist man. This chant has resounded across 52 countries, but on the streets of Santiago, it is often sung while squatting, just as women and girls are, are forced to do in police detention. The protests in Chile, known as El... Estalido, 
uh, a social, uh, the social outbreak, were triggered not by femicide but by fare hikes. Their remit rapidly broadened to encompass the panoply of issues, perhaps reflecting a collective understanding uh, that the axes of oppression intersect. A woman who can't afford the bus might, for example, find herself walking home through the streets of Clapham late at night. As diffuse, uh, as diffuse fear over Everard's disappearance congeals into focused rage, we must refuse easy answers. Excuse me. Uh, the culprits are not only the men who do this to women, but the state that does this to us all. Um, a great, um, a great uh, book uh, recently that I've uh, gained knowledge of, but I haven't uh, peeped yet. Um, is by, I think her name's Esther Miggy. Um, let me see if I can look up right quick. Uh, the book's called The Sum of Us. Um, and the, the point of the book is, um, basically to explain how, you know, thing, uh, uh, things like, you know, racism, sexism, all these isms, right? Um, when they encapsulate a, well, uh, an, an amount of people, right? A certain amount of people. Um, regardless if it's a racial minority or, you know, whatever, right? Um, and whenever, uh, injustice is done onto that people, um, basically the people that are doing the whole, the whole, you know, the race, the racism, uh, reminds me of that, uh, reminds me of that video by, uh, I forgot dude's name, but, um, it was, uh, reenacting, well, not reenacting, but it was, uh, doing a, th- doing a skit on, like, uh, how, uh, <laughs> Uh, Heather McGee, so, by the way, um, uh, is doing a thing about uh, uh, British uh, media and how they talk about race. And it's like, how many racisms have you experienced? That just reminds me of that. Uh, the book's called The Sum of Us, What Racism Costs Everyone and How We Can Prosper Together. So basically the point of the book, um, and again, I haven't read it, um, is about uh, how, you know, if you, the, the, the story she gives during interviews is like there was an Alabama uh, uh, public uh, parks and recreation, uh, um, you know, uh, committee, I guess, right? Um, and they had like a swimming pool, um, and then the civil rights movement came through, you know, etc., etc., middle, 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 and then uh, once the once the people of Alabama or just like the Alabama government uh realized, I think it was in Montgomery, Alabama, but I'm not sure of the sea. I forget the particular place, but anyway, I'm just gonna say Alabama just for general generalizing and uh, to get the point across. Um. Yeah, when they realized that um, pools couldn't be uh, segregated anymore, uh, you'd think that they would just allow it, right? But no, they they literally cut off not just the pool, they drained that motherfucker, uh, they killed off the pool, so nobody, literally, they said, alright, so since black people can now swim, nobody can swim. And they cut off uh, the entire Parks and Recreations Department, and they cut off uh, public parks, etc, etc, for like 10 years. Um, between like the 60s and 70s, um, that's basically what I feel. What happens a lot here um, in in this conversation, where like the re- if when women can't prosper, when black people can't prosper, when other any other people of color can't prosper, or any uh, uh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, shat on uh, uh, part of society, it brings down everybody. It really does bring down everybody. It may not look like it, but it really does. Um, you know, and uh, I feel like that's where I always come to, or I'm starting to come to now in my thoughts about all of this, where, like, uh, you know, when the police can't... The, the police at this rate clearly are, are, can't do their jobs in the way that... Um, uh, in the way that we usually think, Right? Like, just look at the vigil that happened, right? They're, they're, they're literally there, and then you just start arresting them. Like, what what, what, what are you doing? Uh, what is the logic there? What what is what goes through your head and goes, you know what? I'm going to start arresting these people. <laughs> like, what? What are you doing? Um, you know, I recently talked about the, you know, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago, talking about how, like, a third of all women will experience domestic violence. Um, and that's just like in partnerships. Like, imagine the ima- imagine the like the 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 numbers when it comes to non partnerships, right? Stuff like this, where like you know, I'm not sure if the if 
the dude that got arrested. Um, I'm not sure if he ever knew, if, if she knew Sarah, if he knew Sarah everyone. Who knows, right? But like, <laughs> it's not her boyfriend. That's for fucking sure. You know what I mean? So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of conversations here and i've only given one and obviously met, tried to i made it a point to mention that there were you know several um at the start of this segment but um i think the way to go about this um is uh you know and again uh, well not again but um you know police are a big part of this and i feel like they're not being talked about enough on this front um in, t- in terms of uh you know uh protecting women because you know there, there were some pretty fucking decent stats on on that front um you know no, no was it no police no police officer has been jailed for killing someone in the uk like what you serious uh all the all the shit they pull all the shit they've pulled uh in the past decades uh, and, you, and you're telling me nobody's been jailed it don't make sense to me um so, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a loss. I'm literally, in some ways, at loss for words because there's so much, um, there's so many ways to slice this. Um, but you know, uh, in the same way, I personally try to, um, teach, in some ways, or just live learn about, um, racism in general, um, there is someone like me who is, uh, you know, female and is trying to do the exact same thing when it comes to, uh, females being, just having to, you know, just, just, you know, grab their keys, like, to indicate, like, you know, house is near, so don't fucking try me, uh, you know, grab their phone, like, I've had a, I had a, I had a, I've had friends, um, you know, call me and, like, say, can you just stay on the phone with me for a bit? Like, while they walk home. Like, I've been that person. I've been that dude for them. Um, but I've... I, honestly, it's, it can't... In stuff like that, I can't exactly imagine it. Like, have, having to wear bright clothes. Like, make, making the... It's about... The, the thing about making the express decision to, like, I need to wear bright clothes when I leave. You know what I mean? Just, just having that thought. Anyway, I've rambled on. I'll kill it there. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth End Podcast Network, it's been what's good. Hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's <laughs> I've literally lost I've lost my train of thought. Intro music is uh, too much by Vanilla. Thanks to Chop Records for the ability to use this track. Thanks to Nappy Hire for the use of Charismatic for the interlude. You can find his website um, on the full show notes as well. And when I said, I hope you all have a good week. Uh, always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.